The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Dugout Study Hall, your remedial course in baseball stats. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. Today, we're going to take a look at how to be right about rookies, and to help us out, we have a very special guest. Shelly Verstrait, dynasty expert and all-around baseball knowledge machine, is here to point us in the right direction. So, let's start there. Shelly, how you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. How are, you, how are you doing, Matt? How are you doing, Alex? I'm going to let Alex take this one away because he gets very jealous when I ask the guest first. So I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that he gets a chance to talk before I do. Go ahead, Alex. Um, I, I'm thrilled to be able to speak before you. That's how I'm doing today, Matt. <laughs> That's it? That's all you got? I gave you the grand stage yeah. and, and no, you're throwing, I, I, it, throwing I, it right back to me. I'm just happy to have the stage. Is that not enough? I, I'm, you know, that's, yeah, <laughs> sure. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I guess we're getting right into things. I can, I, I'm doing well. Thank you both for asking. Uh, it's been a good, uh, a pretty good week. Um, let's jump in here. And, uh, you know, we have an expert in so many things with us, uh, tonight. And what I would like to do first is, uh, give you a choice here, Shelly. Um, as you'll have a lot of choice throughout this episode because we want to follow your lead. Uh, but in this particular case, I have cultivated two headlines from the news. These are recent events. These, these are headlines from like within the last 24 hours. Uh, one is related to French bulldogs who I know are near and dear to your heart. Uh, and the other has to do with baking, which I know is something else that you really enjoy. So I'm going to give you an option here. You can just blindly pick a, a headline and I'll read it and I'll give you a quote from the article and we will discuss. Or I can read the headlines and give you a little bit more of an opportunity to pick something that uh, you know you might prefer to talk about. Are you feeling like like risky or are you want a little bit more of a safe play here? Um, knowing me, let's go risky. Let me just um just I will talk about just French Bulldogs. All right. I was so hoping that you went with that one. Okay. This is from an AP article that is called Lookout Labs, French Bulldogs, now second most popular US dog. And here's a quote from the article. After riding a rocket ship to popularity over the last quarter century, Frenchies came in second only to Labrador Retrievers, the leaders for 30 straight years in the American Kennel Club's latest rankings, set to be released on Wednesday. 
They reflect the relative numbers of purebreds, mainly puppies, that were added last year to the oldest U.S. dog registry. So, feelings about the French Bulldog being second only to Labrador Retrievers who have held the title for 30 straight years. Yeah, um, I'm honestly, I'm not surprised by this. Um, as, as, as most of the listeners know, I have two Frenchies. I own two Frenchies. Um, I have been in quarantine with two Frenchies for many a month. Um, Frenchies are the best. They, they, they really are. They're, while, you know, you know, the golden retriever might have like the, the typical dog kind of connotation, Frenchies are literally the couch potato of the <laughs> the uh, of of dogs. And you really want a good couch potato, a good snuggle buddy during quarantine. Frenchies yeah. are just amazing. Um, they don't require a lot of exercise. You can just kind of just snuggle with them uh, throughout your quarantine and 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 just whatever and they're goofy and everything i mean i'm again i'm very biased when it comes to french bulldogs but i i <laughs> no, I, no I, I yes i i am totally glad to see that they are you know number two um go go frenchies is all i have to say now i have to ask um at like what point um did the Washington Nationals name Juan Soto after your dog. Like, <laughs> what, what was the timeline for that? Yeah, it was like okay. So me and my husband had our first Frenchie, who was um, Orsillo, and then we was like, well, yeah, I think we need. This is a time that we need to get another Frenchie. Um, Orsillo was three, so we decided to get um, you know another Frenchie. This was prior to COVID. And we got uh, Soto like right before, like right at the beginning of March, right? So mm-hmm. right before everything went down. Yep. And it's like, okay, so we got another Frenchie. Like, okay, um, I guess we have to give, you know, you know, Orsillo was based on Red Sox stuff. And my husband mm-hmm. is a humongous Nationals fan. I'm like, okay, so we got to kind of name a our, our, our next pup after a uh, a nationals guy so how could you not go soto at that point so yeah that's a pretty safe play it'll be relevant for a while yeah <laughs> i mean if you really wanted to like make fun of your husband i suppose you could have offered like some sort of jason marquis joke yes um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah uh as someone who moved to washington dc um during the middle of their uh, championship season and uh, held out and refused to call himself a Nats fan. And for a while, you know, it's been kind of weird because I I felt like at about the time that I would want to, it would have been a bandwagon move. Um, But, you know, I'll settle for just individually cheering for most of their players to be successful and also for them to win games. But I'm not a Nats fan. Well, I don't want to leave the listeners at home hanging, so I am going to reveal the second headline, but we're not going to get a chance to talk about it. I'll put the link in the show notes, so we'll be able to find it later if you'd like. But this is the second headline that you did not choose, the path untaken for this particular episode of Dugout Study Hall. Celebrity Great British Bake Off. James McAvoy stuns with incredible baking skills. Oh, dang. How's that for a cliffhanger? How's that for a cliffhanger? That's a good one, right? It, it, It 
It, oh, dang. Yeah, it, it, that's a really good one. All right. I, you know what? I, I'm going to read the little blurb that I have, too. Okay. I'll give that to you. All right. It says, James McAvoy has surprised on celebrity great British Bake Off with his incredible cake skills as he was crowned the winner. Pretty fantastic. It really is. And unfair. How can you be good at so many things? Come on. I know. Come on. I, I try not to be good at any. It's a, it's a choice, <laughs> but I'm willing to do it for the audience. All right. Well, that's going to bring us uh, to a segment we like to call here, Shelly, number or numbers of the week. And um, what I have here is is number one, which could be a lot of different things. But in this case, it's the uh, MLB.com ranking of 2020 rookies, and they gave it to Kyle Lewis. Um, and I guess I, I wanted your take on where you think he kind of came from, whether he has a repeatable season in him. Um, and who the next Kyle Lewis might be for the 2021 season or, or anything that you want to say about Kyle Lewis. Cause you're the guest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, Kyle Lewis, Kyle Lewis is like really, I was so excited and so glad to see what season that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, he was drafted extremely high, um, a couple years ago, uh, by the Mariners, and he was just always known to be, you know, just for his hit tool. And then he had like a lot of injuries and there was like a really major injury to his knee and just like all these other things. I'm like, oh, is it ever going to happen? And, you know, then it did like in, in 2020, he came up and he went gangbusters. Um, mm -hmm. He hit so many home runs. And honestly, I love to see it. Um, he's a really great yeah. uh, Twitter follower and everything. He's a really, 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 really great guy. Mm -hmm. Going forward, I, I I don't know how great he is going to be. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that the, the strikeouts and everything. I'm a little bit concerned about that. Um, but I, just from a, a story standpoint, I loved um, his 2020 season. Who else was ranked in the 2020 rookies? Oh, now you're asking me a question. I have to, I don't have it in front of me. So uh, Alex, talk a little bit while I call this up. Um, yeah, I feel like, um, like Kyle Lewis is also a really confusing player to me um, for some like non-ranking reasons. Um, he got traded in the dynasty league of mine today, actually. <laughs> oh, um, and the guy who received him had not done a lot of research, but just kind of knew he was good, um, which I feel like happens a lot. Um, and they were wondering why his slugging percentage was so low, given like his home run total. And we went digging. He like hardly hit any doubles at all last year, uh, basically exclusively singles and home runs. Uh, and I feel like that's probably not like any sort of real indication of skill, but I'm kind of curious, like understanding like kind of how he works a little bit if you could even try to chart out an answer to why that might be. Uh, yeah. I mean, when he was a prospect prior to like a lot of like his major, like knee injuries, his, you know, his power was all Charles. Like he was like a 60 grade, 70 grade power guy. And then his hit tool was a little bit below. So hearing that, that most of his production last year was either homers or nothing. Um, <laughs> that, that, yes. that doesn't really surprise me based on just kind of his overall, uh, 
stuff and just everything since that injury. But I mean, he was supposed to be like good power guy, a good defensive guy on the outfield. Um, so yeah, that, that's all right. I'm going to answer your question, but before I do, I'm going to transition us over to the next segment away from the number of the week to our kind of our central question. That's the thing we try and answer uh, each week. And that's how to be right about rookies. Um, both in dynasty formats and then also redraft because it's obviously very, very different. Um, and, and the reason I'm going to throw that question out is because I have a feeling that some of these guys on the rest of the top 10 here from MLB.com's 2020 rookies of the year, uh, might segue into that kind of a conversation. So that's really what we're trying to get at here. Um, how can we maybe get an edge when we're looking at drafting? Um, maybe it's a first year player draft, maybe it's a redraft, maybe whatever, or even maybe trading for a guy. Um, so I'm going to read to you the rest of the top 10. This is from MLB.com. So, uh, don't shoot the messenger here. Um, so number one was Kyle Lewis. Uh, number two, Jake Cronenworth, three, Devin Williams, four, Tony Gonzalez, five, Luis Robert, six, Kibrian Hayes, seven, Alec Bohm, eight, Ian Anderson, a favorite of Alex, uh, nine Willie Castro and ten Ryan Mountcastle. Anybody strike you on that list? Um, yeah. Um, for <laughs> <laughs> don't sound too excited all at once. Yeah, I, um, I hear you run out of. Yeah, that. I mean, there's like a lot of guys that I actually do like there from a long-term standpoint. Uh, when you get to like Brian Hayes, um, mm. you know. Alex Bohm, like those are guys that you know that are just just straight up hitters. They've been hitters throughout their minor league career, so you can really bank on them. But it's like the Jake Cronenworths and uh, the Devin Williams that are kind of like pop up guys. Um, mm-hmm. I just like I I really back away from them because what Jake Cronenworth did last year absolutely blew my mind, and I loved it and. I mean, I was a fan of Cronenworth when he was in Tampa Bay, but it was more of uh, like a, a, a very diminished kind of like Otani kind of thing because when he was in Tampa Bay, he could hit, right? Mm-hmm. But then he was also coming out of the bullpen and just doing some things. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, so they moved him over to San Diego. I'm like, okay, this is kind of like a okay kind of um guy that they can go in between and I, I I still don't necessarily believe in everything that he did last year um but it, maybe I'm totally wrong um. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean that's true of any any uh prediction but it, I mean it sounds I what I'm hearing you say is that there are people with track records and then they go out and they do stuff that kind of supports what they've always done and then there are these guys that pop up out of nowhere and sometimes they sustain it uh, and we just didn't see it coming. And sometimes it's just exactly that a flash in the pan. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Right. Yep. A hundred percent. Um, yeah. Especially with like Devin Williams and his, um, injury, I think to his like shoulder or whatever, and just everything. Um, just both of those guys just going game busters. Um, just, it gives me a little bit of a pause. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. One of the things that I feel like people like us who are more attuned to like regular major league baseball analysis sort of things um, can do is like take apart why we would or wouldn't believe a little bit of the stats, you know, as if someone's breaking out, except we've just never seen them before. Um, But I feel like it's really easy to like 
ignore all of the signal that happens from AAA on down. Um, and I feel like one of the big questions that I want to make sure I walk away from this um, with at least like 2% answered, because who knows how much you can even answer <laughs> 2%. this. 2%. Um, it, <laughs> it's a manageable number, I think, right yeah. there. <laughs> I, you know, I like to set the bar really high. Um, you know, is, is I want to basically know, like, um, broadly speaking, if we're taking any of these guys, like, what is it that we should be looking for, you know, in advance of them coming up? Um, and what, you know, maybe we should be ignoring a little more? Uh, because I know that, you know, that the question is going to be impossible to answer because people are going to prove us wrong all the time. But, you know, like, what sort of signal are you looking for when you're looking at a guy like Kyle Lewis to tell you that he has power or looking back even at Cronenworth what sort of signal could we be looking for to indicate that he could have been a guy who has a 90 plus percent contact rate and like a, a you know like a 20 a, like a sub 20 percent uh, chase rate yeah yeah Cronenworth absolutely blew my mind last year like seriously um <laughs> that just yeah um but when it comes to a lot of of prospects or whatever honestly just really um, it, it, pay attention to guys um, who who write for like really good sites and read reports. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, straight up honest. I mean, that's that's really what I do. I do a lot of reading and then a lot of looking at video. And when it comes to Kyle Lewis, like he was drafted very highly. He dealt with injury, but he was still trying to improve. So I read beat writers. I read. Mm-hmm. uh scouts reports i read uh, a, a lot of different things from people and then i go and look at video as well and see if what they're saying matches what i'm seeing and then i'm like okay yeah i'm totally buying in um but really honestly it's it's a lot of trusting um unfortunately it's trusting scouts because i mean they're out there i mean i really wish that i could be out there but I can't get to every game. <laughs> yeah, right. So I want to ask a quick follow-up and put this into context. I'm not sure if everybody at home knows um, the difference between available data for minor league versus major league. So if I'm looking at somebody who has three seasons uh, with the Brewers, I can go to Fangraphs. I can go to Savant. Um, I could go to Baseball Reference. I could go uh, to, um, um, I'm blanking, uh, Brooks Baseball. <laughs> Thank you. It was you almost had me there, Alex. You almost saved me. I, I managed to save myself. Uh, anyway, the point being, right, that there's this plethora of information and data. We could get so many numbers. If you're Alex, you can take those numbers and make new numbers. Um, but if you're looking at somebody who's played, you know, uh, high A, double A, halfway through that season, came up to triple A, and are about to, you know, try and compete uh, to break camp with the big league club, what's the data that you have available? Um and I guess what I'm hearing is there's a lot of eye test involved with with uh, the the prospects and kind of just making sure that people at home are aware of why that might be. But what data is available and is not available when we're talking about minor leaguers versus major leaguers? Yeah, this is like um, like the biggest quote unquote problem when it comes to minor league baseball because you know, I mean you don't have like the baseball savant, you don't have the Brooks baseball uh, there for you. Um, I do know that Fangraphs on their um, their board when there is some um, actually minor league games going on, they do have 
max exit velocity for hitters and like top velocity for 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 pitches on their board so i really do look at that as well um it, it, honestly that's really about it because i mean there is not a lot of you know just extat cast stuff with a lot of these minor league parks so you could look at stuff you can read reports um because some people have access to stuff that the major public doesn't have access right, to right like Ex the teams have a lot of this data exactly mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, but definitely, definitely check out uh, Fangraphs, their board, because they, because uh, Eric Longenhagen, I don't know what connections he has, but he has connections <laughs> and he's able to put that out publicly. Um, and mm -hmm. he has some, I guess, some really interesting stuff there. I like to yell about a lot of like air quotes so our viewers know tools <laughs> numbers of the major league level that I have problems with. But uh, max exit velocity is definitely not one of them. You're only giving me a couple things there, though, and I kind of want to dig into, like, the opposite direction then. Like, if you're an idiot like me, uh, especially if you're an idiot like me circa, like, Fabapalooza 2019, um, I know that, like, the thing I was going to go look for is look at someone's minor league home run totals and batting average because I was uh, very in tune to what was good data at that point in my life. Uh, what sort of, like... I would say like a red herring numbers. Are you most looking for like avoiding? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. So I remember Fabaloza and um, I was all <laughs> in on uh, Nikki Lopez as well. Um, just from a stolen bases standpoint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just from a stolen bases <laughs> standpoint. I'm like, yeah, he's doing like really well, but yeah, I mean, even someone is, is in tune as me when it comes to like minor league stuff can get fooled by guys who are doing stuff, you know, in AAA, AA, and they're coming up and like, oh yeah, I could definitely tell, like, this is definitely going to help my team, but I got fooled as well. Um, the minor leagues, they're, they're, uh, it's, it's a messy place. Um, yeah. Because we don't have the data that we have at the MLB level. So we really are, I mean, just looking at stuff, uh, looking at basic numbers, maybe looking at some of the stuff like exit velocity and, and, and stuff like that, uh, swinging strike rates, um, it, um you know, on fan graphs and stuff, but we're really mm -hmm. honestly looking at the same things that you guys are looking at and we're hoping <laughs> that something's happening here. But yeah, I mean, I got, I got fooled by Nikki Lopez as well. Well, I mean, you're also forced into a certain, to a certain degree, right? Really small sample sizes in, in some cases. So even the data that is available is, is maybe just a snapshot of a moment rather than indicative of, um, you know, future production. I feel like, though, when you say you're looking at the same stuff, for a lot of us, it's like the difference between someone who's opening up where Waldo for the first time versus, and I'm sure this exists, a professional Waldo finder. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're out there, please contact us. We will have you on professional Waldo <laughs> yes, finder. Our, our, Twitter our Twitter handle is at Dugout Study Hall. Um, I will not give my cell number, but if you're a Waldo finder, I'm sure you know how to find that too. Um, yeah, you know, like, Someone like me might go and, like, I'm looking at, like, say, Alex Kirilov's Fangraphs page. Um, because 
I know that he bats left-handed, and I know that nobody else in the entire state of Minnesota bats left-handed. And <laughs> he's probably going to be in line for a pretty decent lineup spot and a lot of playing time. So I want to know what it is that I am irrationally buying everywhere. So, I mean, for him, he hasn't like hit a ton of minor league home runs. Um, and if you're someone like me who's like, I want to know if I can trust this guy to hit enough home runs to belong in my fantasy lineup. I'm kind of curious about like how much I should be buying into numbers like that versus like how you'd kind of like take in some of that like really rough and poor but flashy data whenever you're trying to make these sorts of analyses. I, I mean, we, we tell people not to just look at people's raw home run totals for the MLB, but like at some point I got nothing better to do <laughs> and it's going to catch my eye, right? So how, how do you, how, like how much does something like that weigh in? Um, yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes to someone like someone like Kirilov who has dealt with injury throughout his minor league career. So when you just look at his, at his stats, yeah, a lot of the home runs doesn't like really pop off. Right. But, you know, you look at his, his grades, you know, either on Fangrass, Baseball America or whatever, and you see an above average power tool and you're like, I don't see the power. And then you go and look in and you're like, oh, he was injured, um, you know, it, in 2017, he had Tommy John surgery on his elbow. That's why he didn't play. And then mm-hmm. in 2018, you know, he he was recovering from that. So that's why you're not seeing the, 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 the gaudy home run stuff. But when it comes to Kirillov, man, I, I'm so excited to see him. Like he has, you know, he has the the power. He has the hit tool. He has everything, um, other than speed. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I who does I, these days? Exactly. Uh, I'm just yeah. So you, you got to kind of like look at the stats and then maybe look at seeing why it doesn't match with the tool grades, and then be like, oh. So he had a, you know, he had surgery here. He had this here, that here. Um, so yeah. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of deep diving and seeing what's going on. Sounds, sounds like yeah. the, trying to find the narrative to support the, the numbers, yeah. right? So there's a yeah. lot of different ways you could arrive at those numbers in small sample sizes and limited data. And if you can find the stories that explain it, it's going to be a lot more helpful. Now, there's also one more thing that you mentioned that um, I want to bring up just because I'm not sure, again, if everybody understands the context. And you're talking about hit tool and power tool. Talk to us a little bit about that and how much stock you put into it for because I can't. That's one of the few things I can go see, right? I can go to a fan graphs page and I can see hit tool, power tool, uh, speed, all of that. Um, what does that mean and, and how can I use that in a meaningful way or can I use it in a meaningful way? Uh, yeah, you definitely can use it in a meaningful way. Um, for me, when it comes to judging hitters, um, I definitely prioritize hit over power because mm-hmm. if you can hit um, and extremely well, a team is going to find playing time for you. Yeah. Uh, most likely. But when you have more power over hit, that gets a little sketchy there, right? So I look at all the grades that Fangrass does. I look at uh, Baseball America um, and kind of have their hit tools. And whoever is like the best hit tool, I, I really kind of bring up a little bit. Um, 
Um, but then I also, I go to um, minor league baseball, you know, TV. I look at YouTube um, as well mm-hmm. and see what the swing looks like as well. Um, but it, it definitely, I prioritize myself hit over power. Alex, how do you feel about hit tools? Actually, like, I feel like I've, I've had like some change of heart in terms of like how I like to interpret stuff because, um, one of the projects I've been working on recently has been like, um, logging onto twitter.com and yelling at people when they quote a hard hit rate wrong. Mm. Um, how does that work out for you? Uh, <laughs> it usually goes well when we start Twitter feuds with people. Is that okay? You're all right. Um, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. Um, there've been a few like burning bags of dog poop left outside my apartment door, but not too many. You can count them on um, one hand. You've done well, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I feel like one of the big problems that I typically have is like, there can be places where if you look purely at output data, things look bad. But, um, you know, I, I feel like my, my, my beef with like the idea of hit tool is mostly that like, I just feel like people don't translate it and don't tell me what I'm looking at in a lot of different ways. Um, but you know, like a lot of what I've been looking into is like, how do people's choices affect how we perceive them? So like, if you're trying to evaluate someone's hit tool, like, how much weight do you give to like different pieces of skill, like someone's bat speed versus like any X number of different factors that you can fit into what might turn into a tool grade? Um, how do you kind of relatively weight and like what do you think we should be able to care about most about that sort of stuff? Yeah, it, it, it really, honestly, it takes a lot of uh, video um, from, um, you know, people just... Um, who are actually at the minor league parks looking at a hit tool um and like with a 55 hit tool i mean you're looking at a guy who is in the box and he is making like really consistent you know consistent contact more than Mm -hmm. average um Mm -hmm. but he is just a much better hitter like he can make more of the contact he can really get his his body more into making consistent contact and you're seeing that even if it doesn't work out well you can see that he is getting to the ball with the bat um so if a guy has a better hit tool that that is what you're seeing even if you're not seeing it from the um you know the batting average stats so it's a number, but it's it's a number that that's kind of derived by eye test. Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like my coming around on that eye test is a realization that like looking for different numbers to capture how well someone's hitting is just going to be biased in a trillion different ways. Um, and you do need someone that knows what they're talking about to put it all together for yeah. you. Um, and, you know, when you said earlier, we just got to trust people. Um I feel like that's just something that eventually I had to learn to do. And uh, it, it helps when most of them are nice people <laughs> Indeed, that seem like they genuinely just want to talk about baseball. Um, and, and that, that, I think that's probably the most interesting thing about like the prospects community is like, you know, you kind of get to know the people a little bit and figure out what their deal is, what they're all about. And, uh, you know, learn why you want to trust all of them and like love every single prospect that's coming up. <laughs> for me, part of the intrigue is uh, that this is kind of how all of baseball was for a very long time, right? It was eye test, it was scouting, it was it wasn't all um, 
saber metrics and and stats and, and not that those certainly don't have their place they they obviously do and there's a lot of meaningful information there but kind of like the minors in general right it's almost like a, a callback to a an, a bygone era of baseball in a lot of ways and I think that's sort of one of them too all right so I'm sorry go ahead oh no no I I, I totally agree um uh, th- that's the thing with a lot of scouts and a lot of people who just do like the minor league stuff um honestly if you just ask them about players they were just mm-hmm. like totally just word vomit on you because they just (laughs) love baseball like probably you know just as much as you so they will talk about players you know um and yeah they just the 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 minor league kind of uh community the the scouting community you know guys at like prospect live and you know baseball america all these other places Honestly, if you hit them up and be like, yeah, I've, I've seen this, I've seen that, they'll, they'll talk with you and they'll yeah. be like, yeah, I, because they love baseball so much. And that yeah. is what I love about the prospect community. Yeah. It sounds like there's a little bit of that pure purism. Is that a word? Can I say purism? Does that work? Um, purity? That's probably the word I was looking for. <laughs> um Again, like that, just that kind of that old school feel, like people who just love the game, get around, talk about it, notice things that um, you're not going to necessarily nuance out of a, a metric, but you can nuance out of a narrative, which is kind of cool. Yeah. All right. One of the things we love to do here on Dugout Study Hall is case studies. So uh, taking kind of the ideas of what we're talking about and putting them into practice with actual players. And I would be uh, tremendously remiss as uh, a co-host of this podcast if I didn't ask you to talk a little bit about Bobby Wood Jr., especially after the week he's had. So um, maybe in terms of whatever direction you want to go, obviously, but some of the things that we've talked about in terms of, you know, what was the track record? What was the uh, the information people had to say like, ah, this kid could be something and then how that's translated in spring training so far? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Bobby Witt, um, so he's been doing some things, some things, some Mm. things. Um, yeah. So when it comes to Bobby Witt Jr., um, when he was drafted, I had him above a guy like CJ Abrams. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after he was drafted, CJ Abrams went gangbusters Mm-hmm. And uh, Witt Jr. just really struggled. So I'm like, well, maybe I need to kind of rethink my thinking here. But then he comes out this year and just goes gangbusters. <laughs> and like there's been kind of quote unquote reports, um, you know, from Kansas City. It was like, oh, maybe he'll make the team because, you know, obviously he's better than just, you know, anyone else that we have currently playing second base. So, or, or third, I also imagine, right? I, I, does he have the arm to play third? Um, yes, I think they could make it in a pinch, but I think he would play more second um, than third. Um, but I mean, maybe I, I, I just don't think that, that Kansas City is going to do that because it just seems a little bit too aggressive. Um, uh, just with everything. Um, but I, I've, I've been enjoying all of what Bobby Witt Jr. has been doing this spring. Do you think that decision is going to be made based on baseball? Like he's doing really well, but we still have a few things we want him to develop. Or do you think that's a business decision about, um, um, 
you know, bringing him up too soon and losing that year or that, that service time? Um, when it comes to Kansas City, I think it's a basically a baseball decision over a service time thing because Kansas City um, was one of the only organizations to actually pay their minor leaguers. They mm. they they kept all of their staff. Um, I so I don't think that it's necessarily a service time thing because I okay. do think they actually um, sorry, but they actually care about people. Um, <laughs> Um, and I, I do think that Bobby Wichita just needs a little bit more time other than like this, like uh, kind of sort of flash in the pan thing in spring, even though I still believe in his talent. I'm just like, I just, uh, I, I don't know if he's necessarily ready yet. Well, we've been here before with, with players who've had these kinds of springs and, and then they, you know, turn into pumpkins and not that Witt doesn't have the track record that we would expect that per se, but small sample sizes are, 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 you know, they're brutal, right? Alex, what do you think about Bobby Witt? I mean, I love pumpkins. They're, they're a great <laughs> fruit. Um, all gourds really are great. Um, yeah. I, I feel like it, it, it's interesting to me to talk about him because we get to talk about so many really weird nuanced things. Uh, like, you know, the fact that Kansas City's entering their first full season with their new ownership and making a really aggressive push to be a better mm. team. Like, how do I possibly think about the decisions they make to call someone up? Um, I also just tend to find, you know, like dudes who are, uh, I don't know, I don't know how much bigger he is than me as a person, but he is definitely way more athletic than <laughs> me as a person. So having to think about him as an athlete is kind of scary. Um, but he's also just like, only played rookie ball and he's so so far outside of what i would consider my comfort zone that it it makes me want to know more information and it makes me curious and i think that those are the sorts of information or like those are the sorts of players pardon me uh that i feel like drive people like us to get better at things uh so like regardless of whether or not he's in kansas city on april 1st um i'm interested uh you know I don't necessarily think he's going to be in Kansas City on April uh, 20th or so. Uh, the I think it's April 17th, mark your calendars, is going to be the first day that um, uh, I see you nodding there. Uh, teams can call someone up and, and get that extra year of service time. And then Super 2, when is that roughly? Do you know that off the top of your head? Um, it's usually about like two or three weeks um, after the start of the season. Oh, for Super 2? Cause yeah. It's, it, Okay, so yeah, for those of you guys at home, um, to get the extra year of arbitration eligibility, you have to spend less than a year on a major league roster. A year on a major league roster, as they calculated, is 172 days. There are 187 days in the major league season. So on April 17th, you can be called up and you will conserve one game less than a full season. Um, and some notable people who have done that in the past uh, include Chris Bryant, who uh, literally it was the day after for him. I think it was a, within a few days for uh, uh, Vlad Jr. Every year you're going to see some people. It, yeah, like it's really amazing how many of the, those young, talented players become uh, suddenly major league ready right right after that deadline. Uh, they needed to work on their defense for a few weeks. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, Vlad I, Jr. still needs to work on his defense, I think. <laughs> but he's up. So that really wasn't the reason. Um, somebody I need to ask you about, um, and that's Jason Dominguez. There's so much helium. Uh, I, I'm not sure he can vote yet. Um, so uh, my, I guess there's, a, there's multiple levels to this question. One, how can we possibly know? that this is the next Mike Trout, as people on Twitter have said over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Not to take anything away from the kid. I mean, maybe he will be. But, um, you know, kind of the aspect of do we get ahead of ourselves a little bit with some of this? Um, And also, if we're not, what is it about him that has so much helium? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Jason Dominguez is a very interesting uh, guy. Um, He has, you know, he's he's been... Uh, you know, he was signed by the Yankees, what, maybe two years ago. I don't even know, like with COVID, I, <laughs> time, it all together. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, but he was signed and like his, his, his workout videos, like really, really good. Um, and then he basically exploded um, as uh, this is going to sound real, but it exploded as a person. Like he just added like so much muscle and everything. Mm. And he just totally transformed to a totally different guy. Captain America. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> what he did. And it is crazy because I like, I, I believed in the talent. I, I saw the video when, you know, he was signed um, by the Yankees, but now he has added so much muscle. He's like, Stanton or Aaron judged in mm. and it's like so much muscle there and it's just like we've never seen him in a professional game we've only seen him in BP and just all of the hype I'm like okay people need to simmer down like I believe me I loved what I saw prior but just adding everything and thinking that he's going to be the next uh, Mike Trout or, or whatever. I'm just like, whoa, now it, it, you just got to like simmer down um, again. Like we've, he's never seen any professional pitching. Yeah. He's only seen BP. We've only seen BP video, which that means something. So again, I, I, I think that he's a really, really good talent. I just am not going to move him from my initial thoughts because he hasn't seen any real live games. All right, I'm going to ask you about one more player, and then I do want to make sure we talk about the difference in, in approach to um, these kinds of players when you're doing when you're talking dynasty versus redraft. Um, but uh, let's go with a pitcher um, if you're if you're game, uh, sure. Nick Lodolo, um, and uh, just talk a little bit about uh, where he's at and uh, you know what he where yeah I guess just where he's at. Yeah, Nick Lodolo. Um, I, 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 I really do like him. Um, he was an extremely polished pitcher um, after he was drafted by the Reds. Um, the, the Reds are, you know, they're spin city, right? They're, they're doing <laughs> a lot of different things. Um, yeah, putting that I, skyline chili on the ball, et cetera, ex- et cetera. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, I, I don't necessarily think that he would ever be like an ace, but I could definitely think that he could be a reliable number two, number three guy who can eat up a lot of innings. Um, and, and maybe all these guys at driveline can get a little bit more out of him, but he's just going to be one of those set it and forget it pitchers um, for you going forward. 
So, like, I actually want to ask, like, a follow-up question on him here. So, like, let's say he comes up, like, what additional data are you going to be looking for first for a guy like him the second you get StatCast data from? Like, what sort of things are you most curious about for some of these prospects? Uh, Especially for, like, maybe some coming out of Cincinnati where you might see some really fun numbers in terms of spin and stuff like that. Um, it would honestly, for me, uh, with him, it would be the pitch mix, just kind of how he's doing fastball, curveball, all these other things, how he's using his pitches and then how is it translating to, uh, uh, honestly strikeouts, because I do think that he has, he can, he has a lot of pitches and none of them are like really super sexy strikeout stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, he has those interesting pitches, but I just want to see how it is just kind of translating to the major league um, side. That makes sense. Alex, what are, what is it that you're looking for from Lodolo when he comes up? <laughs> um, God, how many different things am I going to look up for any particular person I'm going to be curious about? your favorite three. Um, top, top three. <laughs> God. Um, so <laughs> I'm workshopping um, an improvement on CSW right, right now. Um, yeah, actually. Uh, basically... I realize that if you swap it out from total pitches on the bottom to be uh, PAs on the bottom, the number you get is the number of uh, called strikes and whiffs uh, like per batter, and that correlates better um, to strikeouts. Obviously, it also just tells me like, you know, it allows us to seep through the guys who like they might get some strikeouts, uh, or they might and they might get some strikes in general, but maybe they tend to get hit a lot, or maybe also guys who just tend to throw a ton of balls. So like. Uh, you know, having a number that like looks a little bit more like the thing that ends up being a strikeout is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I also just like for any given guy that's got a, a million different pitches, um, I'm really curious to just to see like how they overlay with each other with any like stat cast spin tools about like, you know, mirroring. Um, it's interesting to see how that works out for people who just look different. And I'm just always curious. Good to know. Good to know. That's that's what we should be looking out for. So I, I like I said, I, I definitely want to make sure that we don't let you go without asking. This is you know from a draft season um, preparation point of view. Um, you know somebody like Bobby Witt Jr., um, Jason Dominguez, they're not in the conversation in redraft, um, likely at least. But how about somebody like an Andrew Vaughn? How do we look at Andrew Vaughn this year differently in dynasty and redraft? Uh, I use him only because I, I think there's a greater possibility that he wind up spending, uh, winds up spending some time on the, the big league club, right? So how do, how do you um, approach rookies from different points of view, depending upon your format? Uh, yeah, it, I, I really just, um, when it comes to rookies, kind of like Andrew Vaughn, um, I, I take a look at the team, cons, uh, you know, context. And I really mm-hmm. do think that Vaughn just honestly just has a, just a place on the team because it totally makes sense because the white Sox don't really have a good, you know, like DH and it mm. totally fits in. Um, everything that I'm hearing from the team, they're loving what he's doing. Um, and I, I, I don't think that um, they, they will play service time uh, stuff with him because just everything that you're saying um, so when it comes to like, kind of like those, those borderline guys, like I really look at the the team context, what the team is saying through, you know, their, their beat writers or whatever, take that with a grain of salt or mm-hmm. whatever, and just 
just maybe like banking on talent. Um, I really do think that Vaughn is going to make the team um, out of spring training. That's exciting. Uh, So in general, if you're doing a redraft, do you tend to personally fill up bench spots with minor league? Let's say it's a league that doesn't have minor league spots. Um, Is that, is that something you're going to do coming out of the draft? Are you going to stash those, those guys? Are you going to try to just be the first one to the waivers to get them? I should also ask, do you draft like Trevor Huth? I wouldn't draft Trevor Huth. I don't think he's going to help you very much in your (laughs) uh, categories. Great Matt, dude, but I, I his ratios are going to be a little rough. Yeah. Oh no! I, for those of you guys who don't follow along with like PL mock drafts, uh, Trevor has a bit of a um, habit or a reputation uh, when it comes to uh, just drafting as many people who uh, you know have never seen a major league ball club in their lives. Um, and that's his thing. Uh, you know, he's he's into that. So we love him. Do you fall into Promise. the same trap? Um, I kind of do because uh, last week I was in um, Tat Wars, so I did my, my first ever Tat Wars draft. Oh, yeah! Congratulations. And thank you. And one of the one of the manager managers of uh, Rudy Gamble of Fastball. Oh, yes. yes, he 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 did DM me, and we were just like talking back and forth. And he was like, "Yeah, I definitely know that you talk about prospects just based on your roster." <laughs> uh, so. Um, Maybe I do draft like Trevor Huth. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. So maybe I just trust some of the the younger players or whatever. Um, but uh, if we're giving advice to the people at home, um, do we go gangbusters for those those rookies, those shiny rookies, as opposed to maybe a, a less, um, for lack of a better term, a less sexy name? Um, uh, because it's not somebody that we've heard people talking about forever, but they're, you know, steady. I, the, I, I think of Kyle Seeger in that way for a long time, right? Like nobody's excited to draft Kyle Seeger, but boy, he helped your team for a very long time. Okay, Alex, yes, because you don't care about the name. You look at the data and, and that's that's awesome. And it's probably the best way to do it, but there are a lot of oh, people no, I just who go off Kyle of Seeger. Those, uh, those name, the name recognition. So I, 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 he's always the guy I think of in this. So do I take Kyle Seeger or do I stash the guy? that I think is going to come up and I roll the dice that he'll be up in a few weeks and it might be six to eight weeks. Is that worth doing? Yeah. As a person who um, owns a Cal Seeger jersey and is not as uh, <laughs> Mariners uh, fan. No, just kidding. Um, it, it really depends on how your team is based. Um, if, if, if you're going like steady Eddie and you want steady production, you don't want to deal with the heartburn hassle or having to deal with like a lot of early waiver wire stuff. Mm-hmm. Just take the steady Eddie guys. I totally understand going with the quote unquote olds going with the olds. <laughs> um, you know what you're going to get. I love it. Um, but if you're willing to take a gamble, you know, I don't mind throwing a, a little chip out there to get a Andrew Vaughn or a Jerry Kalenic or someone like that. If you want to take a chance where it could blow up, I, I, I'm totally for it. Just don't put too many of those chips with the, the Vaughns and the Kalenics and people like yeah. that. I, I feel like you can th- throw them into the same boat uh, with like, you know, uh, Tommy John guys who are going to get called up of back to the major leagues um you know from except you can uh, put those prospect. guys on il spots yeah it's a little different but yeah, yeah i understand what you're saying 
you know, I mean, but still, it's like a whatever round pick that isn't a player on your roster on whichever day of the week that you actually need him, one way or another. Um, you know, the difference between um, turning Chris Sale um, into, you know, a, a 24th round pick, essentially, you know, off the way of uh, and like turning Andrew Vaughn, if he's for some reason not in Chicago on day one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like if, one way or another, you're still burning a draft pick on one of these guys and you just can't do it too many times. Um, you can tell yourself that you can, but I mean, you, it, it comes for you. <laughs> yeah. The biggest piece there is opportunity cost, right? What are you giving up in order to do that? Um, and that's going to ne- not necessarily be the same in every draft. All right. I want to shift gears one last time before we, uh, we let you go. Um, we have two segments we like to do at the end, pass, fail and off the books. And I'm going to squish them into one for you here. So, uh, we're going to go off the books and talk about a little bit, the minor league reshuffle, uh, that was done. And then once we talk about it, I'm going to ask you, uh, to, at the end, tell me whether or not you give major league baseball a pass or a fail on what they've done. So talk to me a little bit about, um, especially with all of your experience, obviously looking at at players in the minor leagues, what you think the impact of this is going to be, and then whether or not you think this is a, a good or a bad thing. Yeah, um, what uh, Major League Baseball um, announced, I think it was about a week ago, whatever, um, with all of these changes that they're doing in the minor leagues, um, I think, um, you know, you have, um, you know, defensive stuff where they can't shift, you have bigger bases, you have time clocks, you have, you know, pitchers can't do pickoffs and all this other stuff. Um, I... I I will preface this that I, I don't major league baseball kind of needs to like figure out if these are actually a thing. So I, 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 I'm like, okay, you're testing this out, even though all of the rules that they're testing out, I absolutely hate and I despise <laughs> and I think that they're awful. Um, and other than even bigger maybe, bags. Maybe, yeah. Other than maybe bigger bags. I'm fine with that. Like that doesn't really honestly mess with the gameplay and I'm totally fine. Mm. Everything else that they're doing, I absolutely despise as a baseball fan. And it's, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens because you're going to have to keep in mind, right. When you're looking at major league stats, when you're looking at prospect reports and stuff that, you know, there's no defensive shifts of their bigger bags, um, pitchers, or aren't you know being able to step off before they throw over like so that's going to mess with your stolen bases stuff that you're seeing just like there's so many different things that you're going to have to keep in the back of your mind when you're looking at all of these minor league stats it's just really just gonna just really fuff up the field when you're looking at everything and honestly i don't like the rules that they're trying to implement but i don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing that they're trying it. At least they're trying it at the minor leagues and not yeah. just going and putting it at the, at the majors. Um, I, uh, Oh yeah. And then they're also doing like robo um stuff, which I am like totally against. Like it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's going to be very interesting and I'm not looking forward to seeing what happens because it's just going to change everything from at least from, maybe I'll be greedy here, but from what I'm doing, like I, I can't get to the park. I can't see things. So I'm just 
a lot of looking at stats and video and it's just really going to just change everything. And I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what are your thoughts on all? Have you, have you been up on these, these proposed oh, changes or the, what do you think I do during the day? Do you, do you think I'm, I'm just ever making offline? sure I don't want to embarrass you? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I feel like um, the idea of trying to make the miners like a lab is not a terrible one. Um, I, I get it. Um, I, I think that there is also like a bit of like in every move the MLB makes where it says, oh, we just need to fix this thing and then the game's going to be exciting again. Like, it's interesting to see them kind of almost calling their own bluff and be like, all right, so we're going to make it so we can steal bases. Is this going to make minor league attendance go up? Are people going to care? Uh, no, I don't think it will change anything at all in terms of attendance, personally. I, these, this next year is going to be crazy because people are going to want to go do things. But, mm -hmm. like, I think in the long run, this change will not make things markedly different. Because uh, they're still not marketing the sport well, for the most part. <laughs> um, now, if they're going to do this and they're going to say, hey, come watch um, Vidal Brujan steal 100 bases this year in the minors. Like, <laughs> like I'll watch. <laughs> I will, though. That's the thing. We yeah. are going to care. But we're probably going to care a little bit no matter what. And um, I think that's something that people like us have to be kind of aware of is that like a lot of these changes are like serving two purposes and we have to kind of grade them two ways um the particulars of the things are changing i i don't necessarily have an opinion on robo umps actually it's one of the few things i just don't have a firm belief on one way or another i i feel like they just need to fire some bad umps um and we'll be <laughs> fine um <laughs> i don't know i i think they serve a purpose i don't think we need to get rid of their job uh i think if you're good enough at something that you can deceive the best umps in the world, that's a skill. If you're good enough at something that you're deceiving uh, Angel Hernandez, that's not the same thing. Um, <laughs> Ooh, by name. By well, name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, he, he's a household name in some houses. Oh, I'm not disagreeing um, with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the sort of things where they can tinker with what... Um, is not necessarily the focus of teams exploitation. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like the weird shift things, but like things where you maybe move where the mound is, I think permanently mm. makes more sense to me. Or like re, where you change the game, not in the ways that the teams are currently doing things like in basketball, you don't need to ban dunks uh, like the NCAA and NBA did because uh, Kareem was too good. Um, you need to change other things, to just change the incentives. And, and that's a whole lot less sexy. Uh, but I think it will be the sort of things that I think make the game a little bit better. Those sort of like, let's be ahead of the problem. Um, so I'll be, I'll be curious to see how this p plays out. I won't be watching near as much tape, so it won't be a big pain in my rear end. Uh, <laughs> but I think I am going to be watching kind of how it's written and perceived. Uh, because like, there are definitely going to be some people like us who are going to make a way bigger deal out of it than it actually is in terms of, the things the MLB wants to get out of it. Uh, and, and realistically, like we got to call their bluff in terms of like what they're trying to do to change the game. And when it doesn't change things, you know, we just got to say, Hey guys, it's you, not the game. That's the problem. Uh, so yeah. It, what do you do with that hundred steel season though? I, I, and, and then we'll wrap up the conversation. I don't want to uh, put too fine a point on it, but you, you get the hundred steel season, you know, full well, it's because this rule change happened. Um, or, you know, the, the pitcher's only allowed to step off twice and then 
it's a balk if they do it a third time and don't pick the person off. And so they get a better jump, right? If all of that's being factored in, how do you even go about saying how many steals is that guy going to get in the majors where none of those rules are in place? Uh, yeah, then I, for me, um, I don't look at the number of like the amount of steals. I kind of look at like, like, uh, again, like a couple of reports about like their overall uh, speed uh, score. The discrete skills that underlie the ability to stole a, steal a base. Exactly. Can we make steals plus <laughs> or like steals percentile? I know the Alex Austin won't be happy his... until we have a thousand new stats. <laughs> <laughs> you know um you know i i feel like there there is always a solution it's just a question of whether or not people will learn anything from it um austin bristow has been workshopping some stuff it's basically like stolen base opportunities taken some um, pretty cool work yeah yeah actually it is <laughs> and uh i feel like um you know like the number of opportunities someone gets in the minors and like how many times they're taking it and how successful they are is still interesting no matter where you are um you know, just if suddenly like the uh, dice roll or the dice get loaded a little bit differently and people start rolling them differently as well, like you can still tell if someone's stealing 95% or er, of the time that they have an opportunity, that probably means something both in terms of intent and everything else. Um, That's true. It's just, you know, just can't be crazy about it. And I don't it just think that feels... you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just going to say it just feels kind of like minor league to major league is already a little bit apples to oranges, uh, but at least they're both fruit. And this yeah. is like apples to screwdrivers, and that's a lot more complicated. Um, but I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, uh, Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. That's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Dugout Study Hall. What a blast. Um, thank you for taking the time. Uh, what I want to do now is give the space for you to be able to plug your stuff, um, where people can find you, um, all of that. So let the people know because uh, they should they should be following you and reading your stuff. Again, uh, thanks you. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Alex, uh, for having me on. Uh, this was great. Um, I guess you can find me on, on Twitter at ShellyV underscore 643. Um, I usually just post my stuff there, but you can find me on Picture List and the Dynasty Guru. Um, and uh, yeah, that's really about it. I mean, I guess if you really want some, some baking stuff, you can follow my Instagram. At uh, Shelly Verstraight. Uh, but that's, that's, yeah, that's about all my stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. Alex, could you uh, go ahead and let the people know where they can find you and me and all of our stuff? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherlist podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.